welcome to Coffee Shop Chats, the podcast where I, Finch, sit down with other podcasters to talk about their shows. Coffee Shop Chats is a project of the Podcast Book Club Discord server, with the questions asked in every episode sent in by members on the server. Today we're interviewing Cat Walker Shea. If you'd like to go ahead and introduce yourself. Uh, hello, I am Cat Walker Shea, um, and I am, oof, uh, I, I am a multi-hyphen director, writer, actor, um, producer, anything people need on a production, I can probably do it. I am the creator of three shows right now. Um, Georgia Romero is done for my first show. My second show is The Softwheel Detective. And then my third upcoming show is The Bonneville Game. If you want to like follow my socials, I'm usually like Ghoul Pepper or Ghoul Pepper Five, like V, sorry, Ghoul Pepper V. I'm Ghoul Pepper V on Twitter. And then on Instagram, I am just good old Ghoul Pepper. I was going to say the Bonneville Game, the pilot releases in like less than a week. Is that right? Yes. On the 7th. So exciting. Are you excited? I, I'm terrified. <laughs> <laughs> Have it out into the world, finally. Yeah, well, it's, you know, it's my first time doing the sound design as well. So I'm like, well. <laughs> <laughs> An undertaking for sure. Oh, yeah. No, it is. I mean, I have experience with doing sound design for film. Uh, but doing it for podcasting is a whole different animal. Different ballgame. Mm -hmm. And just different goals because you can't rely on visuals at all. Yeah. All right, so if we want to get into our questions here, kind of going off of what we were just talking about, how long have you been working on podcasts and how many have you worked on? Ooh, um, so I started, I think, in 2019, right before the lockdown. Um, I, my goal is to work in television and animation, but all of that is very expensive. So I started looking at options for storytelling in 2019. And uh, I sort of rediscovered radio plays or audio dramas. And um, weirdly enough, it was the Adventure Zone that got me to sort of jump into this realm a little bit with uh, this, the, the talents I already had acquired. And I just tapped my friends to start making them. Uh, I've created three shows, possibly four, because I don't ever stop. But... Um, I've also done some work on, I did some voice work for Me, My Demon, and I. Uh, I was Eve. And then I've done some voiceover work uh, for um, the Kingmaker Histories, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, it's a very great show, uh, plugging that one. Um, I know the, the creator. They're a wonderful person. Um, but yeah, like I haven't done too many other podcasts outside of that. So what was your entry into the podcasting world? Was it the Adventure Zone or had you had prior encounters? It, well, I would say I probably remember my first one was Welcome to Night Vale because it completely conquered Tumblr for a while. Yeah. Uh, but then I kind of like forgot about it for a minute. Um, just, you know, life happened and I just focused on other things. For sure. And then I, you know, a friend of mine listens to a lot of like nonfiction podcasts and she was giving me recommendations. And one of them was um, me, my, my brother, my brother and, and I, or me, sorry. Oh my God. 
<laughs> I messed up the title. <laughs> Let me try again. My brother, my brother, and me. Cool. Um, and that sort of led, that was like my gateway drug to Adventure <laughs> Zone. And and I saw people doing like animatics for those. So it was like, you know, audio drama seemed like a perfect mixture of my love of like uh, animation, storytelling, voiceover, um, without uh, the cost of paying for a full-on animated show. <laughs> right. Um, so how did you transition from listening to creating your own shows? I just started doing it. Um, like the, well, I mean, I was fortunate that I had filmmaking experience and that had just taught me that when you want to do it, you just have to do it. You just have to rip off the Band-Aid. Um, because if you wait until you're good at it or perfect at it, you'll never do it. Right. And so I was just like, I guess, well, I remember what it was actually, how I how I transitioned into this specifically. I was applying for some, it was like some, not, I don't want to say contest, but it was like some like lab or something with Disney where you had to pitch them a short film. And I wrote a, a little short I, I wrote a quick short film just to apply to this thing. I didn't get it, but then I was like, well, I want to do something with this idea. Like, I should be making something um, just so that my name is getting out there and people know what I'm about. Right. And so I took the concept that I had pitched to Disney in their uh, lab or or I, I don't remember if it was a lab or like a, a contest or whatever, but um, and I made Georgia Romero was done for. Uh, which was just because I think like they had a theme for the contest, which was like self-discovery or something. And so I was like, what if a zombie discovers who they are because they have no memory of their life before they died? <laughs> yeah. And which was, I realize uh, maybe not the idea for Disney, <laughs> but um, it, yeah, it led to Georgia Romero being created and just like uh, diving off the deep end on my own. All right, so on to our next question. Um, what is your favorite part of your craft and why? Oof. It's hard to, I mean, it's hard to narrow it down. For me, it really is just, oh, oh. oh it's like asking a favorite child. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I really just like, I think one person sort of like, was talking about writing at one point and they said, I, I don't like writing. I like having written. And so it's sort of like that feeling of being done. Like you'd created it. You, you know, you've let it out into the world because when you're creating it, you have all the stress and frustration. Um, and things aren't like, you know, cause in your mind, like nothing can ever be like it is in your mind's eye. Um, right. And so you're always frustrated with yourself and, you know, and I always have really talented people working with me, so they're they're always doing a great job. But there's always that like I'm always looking at myself and how I'm putting it all together, um, and so there's the stress. But then once I release it, so I kind of love the release part where it's like <laughs> I've created this thing, and now it shall go and terrorize the countryside like a Frankenstein monster. Um, you get past all of the stress of being in the midst of it, and then it's just complete. Yeah, um, I do love like voice acting and I love writing and I love figuring out character work. Like character work is a lot of fun for me. Um, so I do love those aspects. It's just that like it's 
easier to be hard on myself when I'm in the thick of it. Um, right. And to be like, wow, that's so uncreative. Wow. Like how many horror movies have already done this? Good job, you. Uh, <laughs> and um, But then once it's released into the world, it's sort of like I have to let go of that ego a bit. And so it's easier to just enjoy uh, what yeah. I've created. Because it's like, hey, no matter how it's received, no matter what, you did that. You made the thing. Um, you get the fruits of your labor. Yeah. And, you know... And sometimes there's just pride in having done it, even if, like, you're like, I know I could do better. I know I need to keep getting better, but I have to be proud of what it is now. Yeah. Um, what has been the most surprising thing to happen as a result of your podcasts? So, a couple of things. I didn't expect the podcasting community to be so intertwined. Uh, in the way it is, like in a good way. Um, yeah. I kind of thought I would just make stuff and it would just go out into the ether and I would try to figure out how to get people to listen to it. But then <laughs> you find out like podcasters all talk to each other. Like it's very supportive. Um, like I've, I've only really had good experiences with other podcasters. Um, you know, I, I obviously can't speak for everyone, but like, right. I've been very fortunate that I've never had a bad experience and it's just been a really lovely part of the community. And I just wasn't anticipating people just kind of like drawing you in. Um, I just was, I kind of assumed I'd just be on like the little fringes watching everyone else, but no, they, you, you just get kind of pulled into the fray and it's very nice. Just jumping into the deep end of the pool pretty much. It is very nice. Yeah. And it's really nice. Um, and I have actually been able to use my podcast when pitching to networks, which was really nice because I was, and I, I didn't know if it would work and it did, uh, because I was able to like bring in my statistics and I could say, well, my audience yeah. really responds to this. And they're like, oh, you know, you have an audience and you know what they like. Um, because there was a part of me that was like, oh, they won't care about this like little podcast thing I did like they're you know they're here to make money and it's like but you realize they are interested and they are like oh you like you make stuff happen okay you yeah. didn't wait um so it was just like because you're told like to go out and make stuff as an artist and which is easier said than done um <laughs> but I didn't realize it would actually get such a positive response uh, in my actual career. Um, like I thought it would just be separate from that. And it's very much incorporated into that very seamlessly. Um, what advice would you give to new audio drama writers and creators? And then specifically somebody asked for writing tips. Oh, um, oof. Okay. So I, one of the first things I learned through Georgie is plan ahead <laughs> um, I kind of just started like, like uh, make writing and then releasing as I went instead of like having a season done. Um, and I very much regret that system. Yeah. So I would like get all your ducks in a row, um, before you jump into production. Like, it's like a film. I don't know why I thought it would be different, but you know, you learn <laughs> from your mistakes. Um, so just be like really prepped, have your scripts ready to go. Uh, before you cast and then, you know, jump into casting. And then once it's recorded, then go into 
into post where it would be like sound design and all of that. Um, I do think some people do it weekly and that, that version does work for some people. Um, but I found for me, it does not. So, uh, maybe figure out what method works for you best before you, um, (laughs) commit to that system. Um, and I mean, I hate to say it, but a lot of the advice is just like, just do it. Uh, don't wait till you're perfect. Don't wait till it's the right time. It never will come. It just, that's not real. <laughs> like, that's not a real thing. Um, right. So just as soon as, like, you know, just jump in. And there will always be people there to help you. And the community will most likely embrace you from the get-go. So you'll, yeah, you know, you'll, you'll do fine. Um, as scary as it is, just... Just trust yourself uh, to be able to do it, which is, again, easier said than done. But uh, <laughs> for writing, one thing I think with writing, I mean, every writer is different and every story is different. Um, but one thing that I would say is what you really want to focus on for a, a long form narrative is like character relationships, how the characters push and pull each other. Um, because even if you have like a really cool plot, if the characters aren't pushing and pulling each other, um, I think that's where the audience might go like, oh, that was a really cool concept, but like, mm, I'm kind of, you know, like, okay, like your cool concept will get people to turn the channel on, but your character relationships are what going to get them to keep it on. Yeah. Because I, I've just noticed that a lot of, I'm trying to think how to word this. Like a a sort of a newer writer trap is trying to come up with like a really cool, never before done concept. Um, And that's not actually what you need to super focus on. Um, Having an original concept is great. um, But what's more important is bringing your voice to something. And if anything, keeping your plot simple will help you in the long run. Let your characters overcomplicate the plot, not the story. Um, you know, because that was just something I noticed with a lot of new writers is they will try to have the most unique plot and then you'll go, well, who are the characters? And they're not sure yet. And I'm like, no, 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 just keep it, keep the plot simple. Let your characters be the reason everything goes out of control. Um, and that's my main thing, I, I guess. Hopefully... Sorry, I just, I feel like that that's not useful <laughs> advice. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, I feel like that's a, I mean, it's very uh, individual probably, but I mean, it's the whole idea as far as like characters. Mm-hmm. No story is going to be original. Every single story yes. has been done, but yeah. people are so like multifaceted that you can't mm-hmm. really be like, oh, the, every character ever already exists because people, right. you know, not every person already exists. Right gives you more creative room. Right. And I would say that even if the idea you've done has been done, it hasn't been done in your voice. Um, and that's what people really tune in for is your voice and what you have to say, because you're going to look at it from a completely different point of view. You know, um, if I made a surrealist film, I would have a very different eye and, and aesthetic than say David Lynch. But uh, so if I tackled well, it's 
hard to. Well, yeah, that's maybe not the right example because <laughs> David Lynch is quite a strange little character. Um, you know, or if I wanted to make a ghost movie, it doesn't mean that I would just be retreading every ghost movie ever because I would still be bringing my my sensibilities to it. Um, right. So yeah, focus more on developing your own unique voice, which is just you. It's just letting yourself be unafraid to write the way you would write. I don't know how to s- describe it, but it's like, you know, don't shy away. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to write yeah. like someone else. Because that was something I did in my early uh, early writing days. I tried to like sound exactly like all the other writers yeah. uh, that I was reading because I was like, well, I need to sound like them. And no, <laughs> nobody wants that. If they want to read Stephen King, they'll go read him. It's very like the whole like, at the end of the day thing, you know, the first person you're writing for is always yourself. So mm-hmm. might as well make it something you as a consumer would also enjoy. Yeah. And you will find your audience. Um, not everyone's going to be into it. And that's fine. Just like, you know, just like uh, there's stuff that all of us aren't into. Doesn't mean we hate it. Doesn't mean it's bad. So as soon as you find your audience, just I think that's when things will really take off. And just figuring out where your audience is, is another important thing, is where are they? Um, If you're making a horror comedy like I am, where are the people who love horror comedy? Go find those people. You know, get them to listen and you'll have more success than if you find like the rom-com people because they're going to be like, I don't want this. <laughs> you know, Not to say that interests can't overlap, of course, but like, you know, you're going to want to go into like online territory where all of the like horror comedy people are or the people who love horror in general because um, you'll have more luck there uh, if, if your story is a horror comedy, I should say. Uh, if you're writing a rom-com, then you would want to go talk to the rom-com people. Uh. What's one thing you've learned through trial and error you think every podcast creator should know? Oof. Um, honestly, I when I started Georgie, for me, I think I was doing it a little too much by the seat of my pants, even just storytelling-wise. Um, I had an overall idea of what I wanted to do, but I was like, oh, it'll come together on its own. (laughs) And it did. But I'm like, I could have saved myself so much headache if I had just really sat down and really committed to certain things. Um, so I would say, like, if you're doing fiction, uh, a fiction podcast, really buckle down and sort of know where the story is going. I'm not saying you have to have every single thing laid out, but get all of the big major points. Um, and it's one of those things where I, like, I should have known better, but I was like, no, I can do this. Like, I'll figure it out. Um, Famous last words. Oh yeah. No, it's, you know, and I, I did eventually figure things out and I did get it, you know, where, you know, it's definitely a show that I would love to revisit someday and make clean up on my part. Like my, my, my cast and crew were perfect, but um, on my end, there are things that I would go back and change just like in terms of the storytelling itself. Yeah. So I think I got just too eager to release it and just put it out into the world. I, I didn't really stop and take a breath. 
because I was also about to graduate or I was about to lose access to my school's like recording stations and stuff. So I was like, okay, we got to do it right now. <laughs> um, cause I had, I had graduated in 2018, but I had friends who were still, but it was their last year. So I was like, okay, I'm on borrowed yeah. time. We got to do this. Out of time. Um, <laughs> and so I, I just, I feel like I should have taken more time and I should have forced myself to really commit to the big story beats and not just had a vague idea of where it was going to go. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, again, it just goes back to planning ahead. Just really plan ahead. Um, have, a, you know, a, a plan B for things as well. Like one of the, the ongoing tribulations we had for Georgie is we kept losing sound designers. Um as in they would just kind of disappear. <laughs> oh, um, <no>. uh, <laughs> but um but like it I didn't have a plan B at the ready for that. So I would say just like have a plan B um and yeah, just just be prepared and have I guess be able to know what you want um when you're working with other people like be open to collaboration, but you should come into it sort of like knowing what you're trying to achieve um, and just have like your, the, the themes of your story in place as well. Like know what you're yeah. really trying to say with it. Um, and it doesn't have to be deep, obviously. It can just be like, I just want to say, <laughs> you know, we're having fun, you know, just know that that's what it is um, and just be really confident in it and I think I wasn't as confident as I could have been in what it was either. And part of that I think was because yeah. I wasn't planning as well as I should have. <laughs> um, so, you know, I, I kind of did it to myself, but yeah, just plan ahead and, and be confident in what you're trying to achieve and, and listen, of course. Keep from shooting yourself in the foot. Mm -hmm. When starting out, can a fiction podcast support itself monetarily and cover for its own hosting fees and distribution, or does hosting one require an investment? Does it differ by oh. platform or are most comparable? Which is a loaded question for, for sure. <laughs> um, I can't speak for everyone, but for me, there was no money. There's still really no money. Um, I'm going to probably have to crowdfund to get the rest of Bonneville done. Yeah. Yeah, there was there was there's no money really in it. I'm sure there are some people that figure out how to how to do the monetary thing. Like I know it it can be done. Yeah. Uh I'm not the person to ask for that. <laughs> um there are some things I do. I do have a Patreon which, you know, doesn't make me a ton of money, but it will be funding a good chunk of what I'm trying to do. Um Now in terms of a platform you don't have to have money to upload it uh there's some platforms that you would have to pay for but i started on anchor which is through like spotify and that's free and it just it's fine there's nothing wrong with it um i'm also giving Acast a try which they do have a free tier so you can distribute for free um without so yeah, you can you can definitely get it up online and out there for free. Uh it's just I don't know if you can expect to make a big return. Right. Uh it, but you know, you could potentially find sponsors, you could 
uh, find backers. There are ways to get money. I am also trying to figure out the grant situation for podcasting. Um, that seems to be kind of uncharted territory a little bit. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that yet. Um, well, I know there are like film grants and things like that, but I was just like, are there any podcasting grants? And yeah, I haven't really found anything, but I'm sort of doing my research to see if maybe some like film grant maybe lets you use like a new media, co- you know, because sometimes they'll put it under new media, um, yeah. even though it's technically not new because uh, we've been doing radio plays before television was invented. <laughs> Um, it's just the format of it has, has altered. Um, but there are ways to make money and it's not to say that you'll never make money off of it. Just don't go into it (laughs) expecting money. Um, I think I would compare it to anything, anything that has to do with the arts where it's like, you can make money doing it and you can make a living doing it. But if you're doing it just for the money, you're going to have a bad time. Uh, (laughs) you're not going to enjoy it. It is not a get rich quick scheme, but there are ways to do it for either like almost no money to micro budget. Um, because I fall into the no budget to micro budget category. And so it's totally doable when you don't have money because who, who really has money these days in this economy? Not me. We have some podcast specific questions. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, how did you get the cast together for Soft Boiled Detective? Did it differ much from getting the cast for Georgie? Not super different. Um, so some of the cast came from like Twitter and casting through Twitter. Um, like Jimmy the Chair is from Twitter, which, or was he was either from Twitter or, oh, I'm sorry. It's been a hot minute since I put out the casting call. <laughs> so I'm like, where did I cast everybody? Um, but like he came from Twitter and like I was so lucky that he came along cuz the best Jimmy the chair um my my partner BK he is the voice of HBD and Hans um he was actually the one that originated the roles in a way like he just started to narrate as HBD one day so it was like well you have the part <laughs> um <laughs> And he introduced Hans as just, like, HBD's best friend, who's just, like, this very... Trying to do a German accent. Um, there was We actually had a, a brief disagreement on if it was, like... Because he was like, I think it's Swedish. And I'm like, no, you're doing a German accent. So, like, we went back and <laughs> forth until, like, he, he looked it up and it was German and I was right. Yeah. Um, but it was also not real German. Like, a German person would listen to this and be like, y- are, you sh- are you sure? Um, right. <laughs> so we created a new country for him, the old country, um, which includes Germany. It's just a bunch of European countries that got together and made the, uh, the new country called the old country. Um, but yeah, so, and then some of the other actors, a lot of the actors I tap are people that I know from, uh, film school, uh, because it's like the, once you start kind of working with certain actors and you sort of learn how to work with them, it's easy to like sort of go back and be like, Hey, do you want to work in this too with me? <laughs> um, Cause like socks Whitmore is somebody I, I cast them as Georgie. That was like when we first met, cause we both went to Cal arts together. Well, I just missed them. I think when I was there, but um, 
they auditioned for Georgie, were super excited, and we became friends through that. And so I wrote the role of Nova for them. And um, so, yeah, a lot of it is just, like, people I know from CalArts, people I know through various, like, um, plays and things I've seen in L.A. Uh, but Twitter is also a really big source of casting for me. There's a lot of very talented people there that have really good setups, so I don't have to like worry about it sounding like they're recording on a potato. Because <laughs> that's that's usually the biggest hurdle, is trying to get everyone to sound like they're in the same room. <laughs> right. So in the soft-boiled detective, why the frank portrayals of sexuality content warning? And then they added, I've never seen one like it before, so I was just surprised by the non-standardity of it. Um, I think I saw it somewhere. Uh, it was mainly in terms of like sexuality is that like, I thought it was going to have more sex in it and then it ended up not. So like, yeah, uh, I probably didn't need that warning, but, um, I think it was just one of those things where I saw people warning for it in things that had sex in it. And I was just like, oh, maybe I should warn for that because I'm really bad at figuring out what to warn for. So I just try to cover my bases I feel like doing more is better than missing things anyways, so. Yeah, and it was just like, I, it just didn't have as, like, much sex as I thought it was going to, and I just, and it was just an oversight on my part that it just, it stayed in there, and maybe, maybe it'll be more useful in season two, um, but yeah, it was just like, just to, like, tell people that, like, you might hear sex or something, uh, well, no, not hear it, oh, that's gross, no, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, they might just, like, you know, uh, sex just is, like, part of the, you know, the storytelling. It would be, like, discuss, yeah. Yeah, and I know for some people they're just not into that, so, or not necessarily, like, or, like, they don't want to be surprised by it. Um, so it just felt like, it was just a, like, like a um, better safe than sorry measure. Yeah. Yeah, but, um, yeah, so... It was not as well thought out as <laughs> it should have been. Um, so with the Bonneville game releasing soon, mm -hmm. what are you most excited for people to hear in this project? Oh, um, um, I'm just really always excited to sh like to share my the world I've built and sort of seeing how people react to the characters and seeing who like who audiences resonate with. Um, but I'm also really excited for people to hear the little dog noises I put in there. Oh, dogs. <laughs> which, which is like such a simple pleasure thing. Uh, Cause there is a dog that shows up. Um, and um, yeah, I think that's for me, that's my big thing is just like really, really eager to just see how people react to these characters and, uh, the world that they live in. Do you ever like have a character written and are like, oh, this character, like they're going to be the fan favorite? Um, some like I've had that thought sometimes, but at the same time, I'm like, I don't know how to predict that. Um, yeah. so I try not to really overthink it. I'm just like, I I have reactions that I hope will happen. But I also know that you can't always predict who's going to be a fan favorite. You just kind of have to let it happen organically. Um, yeah. Because, like, I never knew. I had no idea who would be the fan favorite of, like, Georgie, for example. Everyone loved Hanako. 
Um, and it made sense in hindsight, but I didn't foresee it. Um, and it's like, oh, I really, you know, and that's another thing. If I could go back and rewrite it, I think I would have let Hanako shine a little bit more. Yeah. Because she did have a storyline, but I'm like, I think if I had like given myself more time to really explore everybody, I would let her shine a bit more. But um, yeah, I think I try not to overthink it because then I start thinking too much about how I'm writing them, I think. Um, yeah. Like I start to, I, I don't want to say cater to anybody, but I just, it's too easy to get in your own head. Yeah. Lean into the tropes a bit. A bit much. Yeah. Oh, kind of related. What's your favorite type of character to see in media? Ooh, uh, I love trash bags. Um, <laughs> I love garbage. Absolute garbage. They're my favorite. Um, like, Better Call Saul. Mwah. I love watching everyone just be trash. Um, but I, I, I do like a, a sweet character every now and again but like i just really love to watch characters who are just so imperfect trying to navigate the world um i mean i guess it also it depends on the medium it can also depend on yeah the genre there are different types of characters i love to see i also love to see i mostly love to see characters that sort of subvert my expectations a lot um you know, if I find something in a character like subverts what I expect of them, I'm like very excited by it. Um, you know, even in just tiny ways, like this isn't a, a podcast, but Sweet Home on Netflix was an interesting example of this. They introduced a character that I thought was going to drive me up a wall. I don't want to say too much to avoid spoilers, but I was so convinced I would hate this character because of certain traits he had. Yeah. And then he ends up being like one of my favorite characters later on down the road. And I was like, all right, all right. <laughs> and it's also kind of funny because then you look back and you're like, why did I even like not like them? You know? Oh, I knew why I didn't like him. Uh, because like, I just thought he was going to be a different character than he actually was. Yeah. Because any like other shows would have done something very different with this character. And most other shows I'd seen this type of character in, I'm like, I usually don't like them. And I'm usually like, oh, no, I hope they die soon. <laughs> um, but this this show just subverted my expectations. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, he's actually cool. My bad. Um, so I love it when a show kind of like, you know, fakes me out like that. Uh, I love a good redemption arc as well. Like, Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I love a, yeah, like a character who's like kind of getting in their own way and then they like grow up and start bettering themselves. I'm like, yes, this is the good stuff. Uh, what tips can you give someone who wants to make a well-rounded character? Um, oof, that's interesting. I think a lot of it is, hmm, sometimes what I do is I really just get inspired by the people around me. And think of terms of that, because like people are so multifaceted and it helps you sort of as a jump, like a jumping off point, you know, like, um, and then from there, it can just really be about building that character's life. Like what, if, what were they doing before the story? What will they do after the story? Um, like, what is their trajectory? And it never has to be brought up. You like, you never have to tell anybody this, like. You don't have to tell them, you know, what their childhood was like if it's not pertinent to the story. 
But as the writer, it's important for you to know, kind of like, did they grow up, you know, rich? Did they grow up poor? Um, just like all of this will help you make decisions for them because they're going to see things, you know, like if they grew up rich, maybe they don't, you know, have a, I don't want to say like, maybe they are very loose with their money. Like maybe, you know, they don't really value being frugal because they've never had to be. Um, yeah. Or if they grew up poor, maybe even if they fall into wealth, maybe they just hoard their money because they're too scared to spend it, you know, and just like little things like that. Um, and I would also say doing like little writing exercises that are separate from the main story will really help. Um, like they don't have to have anything to do with your plot. Just throw them into any situation and just see what they do. Um, because sometimes just throwing a character into either a goofy situation a scary situation of, you know, or a traumatic situation, kind of going with them on that journey and seeing how they react to that can help you build them for your main story. And you may never show that story that you write to anybody. Like it may have nothing to do with anything. Uh, it might just be for you, but it can be a great way to get to know them uh, in ways that you might not be able to explore in the main story that you're writing. Uh, before you dive in and start writing the story. Um, and also really figuring out, I, I mentioned character relationships before, but sometimes really figuring out how they would interact with other people can help you kind of figure out the little like tiny things about them. Like if they're a workaholic, how would they react to someone who just like has no motive to do work? Um, like that just can't be bothered to do the work that this person is like, I have to do all of this. Um, and just seeing how they might react to that. So it's really just about making your character, sorry, pardon me. It's all about making sure you make your character uncomfortable <laughs> and just see what they do. Um, because I think like, it's easy to like, see what your character would do when they're having, like having a good time and are happy. Right. Um, <laughs> But, like, really throw stuff at them, things that challenge them. And it can be just funny things. It can be little things. Like, even if you just want to write, like, a little story about, like, they have to go down to the cafe down the street and get a cake, but there's road construction or something, and they have to figure out, like, what will they do? Will they wing it? Or are they going to get their map out, you know, and then yell at Waze? Because, like, Waze keeps trying to send them down the street with the construction. <laughs> um, you know, just just exercise with them and it, it can really lead to like some discoveries that can make them feel fleshed out without even, and it may never get brought up in the main story. They just need to feel more like people before they feel like a character. Yes. Like just make them people like, you know, and pull from yourself as well. Like um, if you have an experience or uh, something about yourself, like some of my characters are just traits of mine turned up to 11 Right. <laughs> and so, uh, and, you know, I use them as a great opportunity to make fun of myself. So sometimes that's a way to do it. All right. And now we've just got some random miscellaneous uh, silly questions, some of them. Mm -hmm. uh, starting off with, what's your favorite color? Ooh, oh, I can never pick. Um, <laughs> I love purples and pinks a lot, but I'm also good with, like, greens. That that I like I'm saying like every color right now. So. 
there's there's lots of good colors. Yeah, it's hard to really pick. Like sometimes I'm in a green mood, sometimes I'm in a pink mood. What's your favorite movie? Favorite movie? Yeah. That's also hard because it also depends on genre, <laughs> depends on, you know, um I can, you know, like I love Reanimator. Uh that's always on the list. I love The Happiness of the Katakuris, um which is Oh no, I'm blanking on his name. He did he did audition. Uh but he but I my favorite film of his is Happiness of the Katakuris. Um Oh, this is so hard. There's so many good films and I know I'm going to think of like 20,000 <laughs> more after this interview. Um Oh, there's so many beautiful films. I love Spider-Verse, Into the Spider-Verse. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um such a well-made film. Um Tokyo Godfathers. Um, I love Evil Dead. I'm a huge Evil Dead person. Like, it's hard. There's so many. I love... This is a terrible film. Don't watch it, but I love it to death. It's called Pieces. (laughs) Which is a great introduction to a film. It's awful. Don't watch it, but I love it. (laughs) Not recommending that one. (laughs) I, I love terrible movies. That's, I have such a soft spot for them. Um, but yeah, if you love terrible movies, Pieces is great. <laughs> <laughs> Death Spa is also really good. That's another really fun one. Uh, but yeah, those are the ones that came to mind first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you play D&D, right? Yes. Okay. What was the first tabletop game you played? Okay. I have a story. <laughs> so I I didn't really know anything about D&D. But D&D was the very first tabletop game I ever played. I think it was I think it was version 5. I don't even remember. It might have been 4. I don't know years. But a friend of mine had been invited to play and she didn't want to go by herself, so she was like, you know, cat, please come with me. And I was like, okay. And we go into it as utter buffoons. And we didn't really understand what we were doing. Uh, and everyone else was much more skilled than us, but also very by the book while we were just like, can we be criminals? Like, can we just like steal things? Like what's going on? Like, what is the deal here? Um, And they were like, yeah, yeah, sure. But then they, when they agreed to that, I don't think they realized that we meant it, (laughs) that we wanted to just steal things. Um, And I was a bard. So I just talked my, my way out of every fight. Um, Right. And I wasn't doing it on purpose. I was just like, I don't know. Can I talk to them? And they were like, yeah, sure. And so I just would do it. Um, And it, you know, but I remember they got so kind of like, you can't do that. It's not the rules. Like, that's not allowed. Um, You know, like, we were like, can we like steal stuff? And they're like, sorry, that's not like not a mechanic in the game. And I was like, oh, that's kind of boring. You know, and I remember just thinking D&D was really boring at the time <laughs> to the point where like I just like started falling asleep during the sessions and the best part is is they would roll for me when I fell asleep and I'd still get 20s <laughs> and they were so mad about it because <laughs> it really made no sense um and like I realize in hindsight like now that I have more information about D&D I'm like oh we just weren't a compatible group like we just weren't yeah. we just shouldn't have been playing together Because, like, I don't want to say anyone was right or wrong in that situation. I just want to say, like, oh, we just weren't compatible and we just weren't, like, acknowledging that. Yeah. 
some people want to go by the book and some people just want to do everything that's fun, even if it's not yeah. rules, you know? Yeah, and... Different playing styles. Yeah, it, we were just different playing styles. And because I didn't understand the game, I just thought that their way was the only way. So I just, like, stayed away from D&D for a really long time. And then I came back to it with people that were closer to my play style. And I was like, oh, it's one of those games where, like, you just have to find the people that, like you connect with. Um, But I, but I was inspired slightly to write a story based on that very first game of just like two buffoons ruining the game for everyone else because we don't know what we're doing, you know? So I, I have a soft spot in my heart for that game where I'm like, yeah, no one was, no one was having a good time, but like it was because we weren't acknowledging that we just shouldn't be playing together. Right. (laughs) Like nobody was a villain. We were just not, we just, you know, we didn't have chemistry. Uh, what is your favorite animal? I love all of them. Like, every time I see an animal, I go, I love insert whatever, because I just love all of them. <laughs> every animal is the best animal. Every animal is the best animal. Like, I'm not choosing one. I will love them all until I die. Um, you know, people will try to find something I hate, and I'm like, too bad, I love it. You know, they'll be like, what about <laughs> spiders? I'm like, too bad, I love them. <laughs> Look at a, you know, I love an ogre-faced spider, for example. They're so, they're super cute. Spiders are great. They're great, yeah. I love snakes, all, like, people will throw anything at me, and I'm like, no, I love it. I may not want it crawling on me, but I love it. <laughs> like, I just don't like the feeling of bugs crawling on me, but I still love them. Yeah. You value them for what they do for the mm-hmm. ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, I just, I have boundaries. Yeah. That's all. It's just a boundary. You know, you you put boundaries in place because you love things. You know, I love you, so I'm putting this boundary up between me and you, spider. Like, I don't want to ruin your relationships with all the insects that probably live in your house, you know? Exactly. And, you know, I was also raised with like, listen, the spiders will get rid of all of the bugs that you don't want in the house. So. Similarly, well, maybe not similarly. uh, Do you have any pets? Sadly. Not right now. Um, we would love, like, my my partner and I would love to get a pet. It's just that, like, waiting until the right time so that yeah. we can be really good pet parents. Um, but I eventually want to have a dog and a cat because I grew up with both and I love having both in my house. Yeah. Would you ever have, like, a really weird exotic pet? Would you adopt, like, a possum or something? No. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> I love them, don't get me wrong, but like... From a distance. Right, from a distance. Like, with exotic animals, I'm like, I would love to be friends with an exotic animal. I don't want to own them. They're much more work than cats and dogs, which are already a lot of work. Yeah, you know, and it's like, I, you know, for example, I don't really want to own a bird. I love birds, but I just want to have like a Snow White moment where I befriend a crow and he just like hangs out with me, (laughs) but then he flies away and we're done. And I'm like, cool, bye, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I've seen a lot of people online that like feed crows and then the crows start bringing stuff to their house, like little trinkets oh, yeah. and things. I, I want to be a crow's friend so bad. <laughs> it's possible. But I don't want to own one. I don't, I'm not judging bird owners by any means, but I do not want them. But I think most bird owners know that it, you should know if you want them or not before you get them. Yeah. I have chickens and ducks and we had to get rid of um, the rest of our ducks a couple years ago because they're just- Aww. So much. I mean, they our backyard was like a swamp. 
Yeah, yeah. I do love ducks and chickens. They're, you know, chickens are yeah. little maniacs, though. I kind of love it. They are. <laughs> they are. I just love that there's like a cannibal spray for them. And I'm like, this is great. They're little cannibals. I love it. If you were a dog, what would your favorite smell be? Oh, probably food. I know me. I would be anything <laughs> that I could eat. Um, just put food in front of me and I'd love it. <laughs> You're the dog that's like stealing pizza boxes off the table and yeah. you know, like cookies off the counter. Yep. <laughs> yep. I once had a foster dog. He was a very sweet dog. Um, but one time I put um, some rib bone on the table and I'm like, oh, he can't reach that. Yes, he can. I apparently for Well, he was also very tall and I apparently forgot that he was tall. Oh. Uh, because I, I believe he was like part lab, part Rottweiler is my guess. Um, and that was sadly part of the reason we couldn't keep him. He was very dog aggressive, so we couldn't adopt him ourselves. We had to like, just be foster parents. Um, like we were not the right environment for him, but, uh, he just walked by the table and just casually walked by it. And I was like, oh, he ignored the bone. And then I like got back up and went over and it was just gone. He had just swallowed it so casually. And I'm like, (laughs) how? what (laughs) like not chewing it he just swallowed it and i was just like okay man whoa okay whatever okay i would be that dog (laughs) i have a dog that's half lab and he does the same it's insane dogs are dogs are great i love them they're just dogs are great like all animals are great but like dogs they just they have a certain je ne sais quoi what do you think the coolest fictional or mythological creature is? Squonk. I have no idea what that is. <laughs> Squonk. Um, it is a creature that appears and cries, but if you try to approach it, it disappears into a puddle of tears. I adore that. Yeah, the squonk. He's great. I love him. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he lives in Hemlock Forest in northern Pennsylvania. Um... Yeah, he just, he cries. I feel like I could be a, a really good squonk. Right? I'm like, me too, squonk. <laughs> Re- hashtag relatable. Be the squonk you want to see in the world. <laughs> so yeah, like, uh, I'm just like double checking my, my, I'm fact checking myself. Yeah, like hunters are, who are good at tracking are able to follow a squonk by its tear-stained trail for the animal weeps <laughs> constantly. And I'm like, me too. <laughs> me too, yeah. So yeah, he's he's my favorite. Favorite and most relatable fictional creature, apparently. Okay, and this is our last question. And this was a, a slight point of contention in the last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what is your favorite weapon and what do you think the gayest weapon is? What is my favorite weapon and what do I think is the gayest weapon? Yes. Oh my god. Um... <laughs> I feel like I don't know enough about weapons to like really, really get a good answer. Um, oh, that's a, it's good. I'm just like, what? <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, um, I guess as for favorite weapon, I, what is my favorite weapon? This is- <laughs> Gotta do some deep like introspection here. I am. I'm going to just like, it'll be one of those things where like, you know, you just stand in the shower thinking and you just like, you're just consumed by your thoughts. It'll be this. Um, 
I feel like I, oh, it's like I want to have a witty and like charming answer, but I don't. <laughs> um, I'm trying to even think about, I mean, I love a good like historical weapon. Yeah. Um, like I love researching historical weapons, like modern day weapons. It's, you know, like they're fine, no shade, <laughs> but like, you know, you kind of predict what they're coming at you with. Um, right. But, like, sometimes you'll find an old-time weapon that's, like, I don't know, it'll be made out of, like, bark, animal hair, and, like, a tooth. And you're just like, how do they do this? What is going on? <laughs> um, so I try to th- – oh, no, my brain is just, like I'm – ch- I'm cheating. I'm cheating. <laughs> I'm, like, Googling things. I'm cheating. <laughs> Citing your sources. That's what's I'm, happening. Yeah. I do like a bow and arrow. I do like a bow and arrow. Like, I think that's like, you know, you can do that. Like, it can be a weapon. It can also just be a fun sport. Um, I've always wanted to learn archery. Uh, So, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to go bow and arrow um, archery. But as for the gayest, uh, do words count? I think words could count. I think there's an argument there. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I mean. Stonewall's coming to mind. Bricks. That's, I mean, yeah. There's bricks. Um, I don't know. I think anything can be a gay weapon, though. That's true. It's it's the intent behind it. Yeah, it's it's like what you do with it that makes it gay. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, I think that's the true answer, isn't it? That any, any weapon can be truly gay. Because, you know, gay is not... If you're gay and you're in possession of a weapon, then that is, in that moment, the gayest weapon. Exactly. Because like, you know, there is no one way to be gay. So there's no one way to be a gay weapon. (laughs) Stop stereotyping gay weapons, everybody. Yes. We're here to stop the stereotyping. We're here to stop (laughs) the hate uh, with weapons. Um, uh, This is this is where I draw my line is we will not be stereotyping (laughs) these weapons. Um, Yeah, that's my answer. All weapons are gay. (laughs) All weapons are gay. All Excellent. weapons are gay. <laughs> Happy Pride Month to all weapons. <laughs> Happy Pride Month to every weapon. Uh, sorry, the gays have claimed them. <laughs> so they're ours now. Um, but, yeah. I don't know why I, I said but as if I was going to add to that. There was no more thought. <laughs> the thought ended. Well, that was all of the questions I had. So first of all, I want to say thank you for coming on and talking to me. It was so fun. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. Hopefully I didn't make too much of a fool of myself. Oh, no. You're totally good. Um, If you want to go ahead and plug yourself, all your social medias, all your shows again. Yes. Um, So I am on Twitter as ghoulpeppervv. Uh, I'm also on Instagram as just Ghoul Pepper. You can find my shows uh, on Twitter. You can find them on Instagram. Uh, they're uh, Spotify, iTunes. There's Georgie Romero is done for the soft boiled detective, and the upcoming uh, audio drama is the Bonneville game. Uh, Bonneville B O N N E V I L L E. Just to just to be safe. <laughs> so yeah, like those are those are the three main ones. Um, let me double check. Let me see what they're. I have too many shows to keep track of, and so then I always forget everyone's <laughs> socials when I'm in the middle of like existing. 
Um, but yeah, you can follow uh, Bonneville Game is just Bonneville Game on Twitter. Softboiled is uh, it is Softboiled Pod on Twitter, and then Georgie Romero is on Twitter as Romero is done for. But yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it was so fun. Yeah, no, I had a really great time. Thank you so much. We 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 solved the the mystery of what is the gayest weapon, and it is all of them. All of them. But yeah, no, thank you so much for having me, and uh, this was a lot of fun, and I really appreciate being here. This has been Coffee Shop Chats. I'm your host, Finch. You can find me online on Tumblr at Smallzies, and you can find the Podcast Book Club Discord server and Coffee Shop Chats Tumblr at podcast-bookclub. Once again, thank you so much to Kat for joining me, and be sure to check out her podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Happy listening!